Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd, cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Welcome back to another episode of Crossover Daily, Sports Illustrated's daily NBA podcast. I'm your host, Rohan Nakarni. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the fallout of the Clippers' second-round loss to the Nuggets. How did this happen, and where should the Clippers go from here? We'll also talk about the NBA players' continued activism regarding police brutality, including how some reacted to the news of a $12 million settlement for the family of Breonna Taylor. Joining me will be Crooked Media's Gideon Resnick. Let's start the show. Joining us today on Crossover Daily is my three-time ex-roommate. Uh, he's a journalist whose work you've seen in the Daily Beast, The Atlantic, and BuzzFeed. He's currently the co-host of the What a Day podcast on Crooked Media, another daily podcast you should absolutely be subscribing to. Please welcome to Crossover Daily, Gideon Resnick. Dion, how's it going, my man? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, I hope that this introduction is the best that you've ever done and will ever give. Um, <laughs> three-time ex-roommate is, you know, just a prized possession of mine, more important than anything else you said. Yeah, it's unfortunate how much of our adult lives we've spent together, and we need we needed the the heavy-hitting daily podcast guests to really show people what we're about. Well, a, a lot to get to. A lot of things have happened in the NBA in the last couple of days. And, and we want to get to some, a little bit of non-basketball stuff later in the show, but let's start right now with 
what I'm, I'm, I'm calling panic at the Staples Center. Mm. Uh, the Clippers eliminated in their second round series at the hands of the Denver Nuggets. And I, I think the Clippers future is, is a tiny bit in question here. You know, what's going to happen with Doc Rivers, Kawhi and Paul George, free agents in one year. You know, we started to talk about that a little bit after game seven. I want to start here with the Clippers because, you know, I was at Staples Center a lot throughout this season. And while the Clippers at their best were a very impressive team, they were always a very good team by the function of having guys like Kawhi and Paul George, they never felt compelling. They never felt fun. And Gideon, I know you watch a lot of hoops just as much as any writer. I'm curious as you were watching the Clippers this season, did they ever feel fun to you? Like, what, what was the vibe you got from that team? Oh, no, definitely not. And I think, like, the most fun guy, or one of the most fun guys to me was Patrick Beverly, um, like, before this season. I remember there was that, it might have been last year or the year before, where they were in that series against the Warriors, and they were they rallied, like, down mm-hmm. 25 or something. Last mm-hmm. season, yeah, yeah. Um and that was like when they felt fun was as like a sort of scrappy and uh, like sometimes obnoxious team, like dudes that you wanted to root for, but didn't necessarily like want around you in a personal <laughs> capacity. Um, so no, like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't feel all that together to me when I saw them this year, I obviously didn't see them as much as you. Um, and yeah, like the, the fun is, is, is right like there was nothing fun about how they were playing like they didn't have it's it's weird because like normally when you're watching a game like someone gets in rhythm right or like a team gets in rhythm and then all of a sudden it's like how do we ball on these guys even harder and they never seemed to like really enjoy what they were doing even when they did get in rhythm so it it was weird it had like super weird energy Uh, that's a great point And, and i bring up fun because it's not that I think your team has to be fun to win an NBA championship, but you know one of the talking points that's kind of emerged after this Game 7 loss was the Clippers ever have on-court chemistry. And I was looking through some lineup stats today. You know, Michael Pino wrote a great piece at GQ about this, about the Clippers' identity. You know, the Clippers had one lineup that played the most fourth-quarter minutes. It was the lineup we expected them to use a lot headed into this season. It was Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Patrick Beverly. That looked like it was going to be their closing lineup. They played 56 minutes together in the regular season, 28 that it was coming in the fourth quarter. That lineup barely played together in the playoffs, only three minutes together in game seven. And it just kind of felt like when everything was on the line, when all the chips were pushed in, the Clippers couldn't find that rhythm that you were talking about, that they couldn't find that group that had been together, been through some battles together during the regular season and knew how to pull out a high pressure game. It felt like they could just never find that, that that never happened for them. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, they were sort of waiting to me. It sort of seemed like they were waiting on the same kind of like, uh, let Kawhi take over situation as in Toronto. And I feel like people did that in Toronto because they were like, Oh, this is the first time that we're going to like get a championship because of this dude. So like, let's allow him to sort of take over here. Um, And they just didn't, like, they didn't, that didn't happen. And then it's like, well, what are you going to do to adjust? Like, that lineup was not, like you're saying, it's like, it's not around. Um, You have George who, like, honestly, I don't know if I'm, like, way out of bounds when I'm saying this, but, like, (laughs) 
is he like as sort of is he as good as people say that he is because like every time I see him in playoff rounds I'm always just like I feel like this dude needs to have something else going on for him what was it that like he had more turnovers than like made shots at some point in that fourth quarter um so yeah like they seem to not have the adjustment or the sort of like chemistry whatever that actually means whether that's like oh we enjoy playing together or just like we know how to play together that that like could get them to close these games out and there was always just like Kawhi makes shots or George makes shots and that just like didn't happen for sure and, and I saw firsthand how many times during the regular season the Clippers put a game away because in the second quarter Kawhi said I'm just going to score 12 straight points or in the fourth quarter he said I'm going to score 10 straight points and shut down your best player that just couldn't happen in this series. I mean, Denver had too many offensive options and its own great offensive pairing in Jokic and Murray that it's not as simple as Kawhi being able to take over by himself. As far as Paul George goes, I mean, before he hurt his shoulder his last season in Oklahoma City, he was in the MVP conversation. At his very best, that's the kind of player he is, a two-way force, someone who can average almost 30 points a game. His, his playoff resume is, is starting to get more and more dispiriting the further you go. Again, he's someone who openly talked about how much he struggled with his mental health in the bubble. Uh, unfortunately, his job was to perform. I, I don't want to get on him too much for that, but it was obviously a struggle for him. There were times where he just didn't look confident in, in that fourth quarter. I, I think what the Clippers collapse or defeat or whatever you want to call it showed is, and I don't know that the Lakers necessarily have this either, but they just have LeBron James, who's kind of seen everything in the NBA, there's something to say about teams that have been tested together, teams that have battled together. Uh, the Nuggets, Celtics, and Heat, for example, all have guys who have been through some things together. I mean, obviously the Heat have a lot of new guys and Jay Crowder, uh, Andre Iguodala, and Jimmy Butler, but they were tested during the regular season. They have other players like Bam and Goron uh, who have kind of been there for years, institutional knowledge that helps them in these situations. He, and I just think that the Clippers were lacking that in large part because they never seem to take the regular season that seriously. Now, part of that is because Kawhi just might not be healthy to play 82 games again in his career, but it just never felt like they they gave themselves an opportunity to be challenged, and that's important for teams to go through. You're definitely right about like the 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 struggles that he had, and I think that you know it was it was good that he was openly talking about that because I thought that that was like another undercurrent of mm -hmm. being in the bubble that nobody was really like getting at. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting thing when you look at some of these teams that sort of um, seem to rely on like how they performed in the regular season as just like a prediction of how they would perform in the playoffs without sort of that extra understanding of, you know, what actually happens in the playoffs. And like, I think a similar thing went on with Giannis and the Bucks in a way where it was like, it didn't seem to me that there was a definitive answer to like what happens when Giannis's offense isn't the same in the playoffs as it is during the regular mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, Denver seemed to, um, they obviously have like incredibly talented players, but the thing that was interesting to me at least was like, 
I didn't know that Murray was really capable of this. I mean, even after the the Jazz series where, you know, he's getting like 50 every other night, I didn't know that he was really capable in those like enormous moments to have some of the most important stretches of of games. But yeah, I mean, they they genuinely sort of didn't have the kind of like vice around them that was like championship or bust. They didn't have the situation where they had brought in, you know, the peak talent in the league to try to get them to that championship or bust. So I feel like that really just takes the pressure off. And like, you know, those dudes had fun. They, it mm-hmm. was fun watching them too. So I just want, I want to put a bow on the Clippers conversation with this. Cause right. There's all this fatalism. Like these guys can be free agents in one year. What's going to happen with doc rivers. This is a massive upset. Where do they go from here? Right. That's the question everyone wants answered. Where do they go from here? Here's what I'll say. Here's my opinion. Even the best teams lose, okay? The 73-win Warriors lost in the NBA Finals. They blew a 3-1 lead. The Miami, right. Heat, the Miami Heat signed LeBron James and Chris Bosh to pair with Dwayne Wade. They blew a, a – not a blue, but they were, they were close to going up 2-0 in the 2011 Finals. They lost. They were up 2-1. They lost three straight. It's not always easy to win in that first year, you know, no matter the circumstances – and what I would say is it's good for teams to lose sometimes. You know, Pat Riley gave this incredible, maybe damaging press conference uh, after the Heat loss to the Spurs in 2014. You know, LeBron ended up leaving that summer, but, you know, he talked a lot about guts and, and what it means, you know, the, the losses he went through, for example, when he was the head coach of the Lakers in the 80s. If I'm Kawhi and Paul George, yeah, you know, free agency's there. You, you wanted this team. You wanted to be in L.A., well, then use this loss as motivation to make it work. Uh, I think that's what the great players do. That's what great teams do. LeBron hasn't won in the finals every year. You know, I think that this could be a, a galvanizing moment for the Clippers as an organization. I want to now move on to uh, something else that's been a storyline in this bubble uh, from day one of the restart. Uh, yesterday, or I guess I should say Tuesday, rather, the city of Louisville announced that it will pay the family of Breonna Taylor, $12 million uh, to settle a wrongful death lawsuit that the family had filed against the city. Breonna Taylor was killed uh, by police officers who entered her home uh, with a no-knock warrant while she was sleeping. Uh, it's something that NBA players have been discussing almost every single day in the bubble. Uh, just, for example, after game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, Jason Tatum was wearing a shirt about arresting the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. LeBron James has worn a hat. Uh, in the wake of the settlement, Eric Spolstra expressed that he still hopes that there's accountability for the officers involved. It it, it can't just be a situation you throw money at. Um, Jalen Brown saying some really important words today about this idea of reform and and how reform actually means dismantle or recreate. And, you know, this has been a theme throughout the bubble, you know, players making their voices heard about these issues. Uh, Obviously the flashpoint uh, moment coming when the Bucks. Uh, decided to forfeit their game, which led to kind of a mass strike that day about uh, the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha. Guinea, I, I know that you know you you cover these issues a little bit more closely than I do on your podcast. Uh, I'm curious, you know, I, I know that you had some thoughts basically about uh, the players' activism in the bubble and specifically the protest. Yeah, first of all, on Jalen Brown, I would love to see him be like a panelist on basically any cable news show because i feel like that dude really gets it in a way i'm not saying that like 
other players don't get it, but like his understanding and expression of the issues is always like pretty astounding to me. I'm like, this, this dude is making like a lot of sense. And like, Mm -hmm. also like on like philosophical levels too. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, my thought it's, it's hard to think about like what could have been and to expect any more from players that are going through a lot of different overlapping things, right? The, the isolation of this experience, uh, the fact that this is a league that is dominated by black athletes who are having to live as black men in America. Um, but the thing that I thought about over the last couple of days is what would have happened had this uh, strike continued, you know, like, if we imagine a world in which they came to a decision to continue to not play as these issues um, played out in our society. And as we, we see these things develop, you know, every day, essentially, what, what, what would that have looked like? Um, What else could they have possibly gotten from the NBA or, or secured in terms of commitments from owners or, anything like that. And that's not to belittle anything that they have done, because I think it's incredible accomplishments. And to the point that you're making, the fact that after every single game, there is still some sort of visible presence of, hey, remember that these things are are going on outside of what we're doing here, I think is like tremendous and unprecedented. For sure. I mean, that's always going to be, I think, a little bit of a great unknown. What could the players have gotten if they tried to strike for longer? And I think there were a lot of raw emotions that day when the Bucks decided to forfeit. I think I almost looked at it as a mental health break. How can we play a basketball game after seeing this happen, you know, not far from where we play? I do think that the burden on these guys is, is already so high. And you know that, like you said, you're not you're not calling on them to do more, but they are in, in such a tricky situation as is. And, and they're, they're trying to bring visibility to this every day that I also don't blame them when sometimes – they just want to play and want other people to be more proactive in terms of how they're dealing with these issues, whether it's the owners, whether it's the league, you know, next time maybe it shouldn't take a strike. And I I don't, I don't fault the players for, for taking that position either. One thing real quick, I I know that we are, we're we're pushing up on our time limit here. I want to ask you because we talk about this activism a lot and you're very plugged in with, it's just the political side of things. I, I know that you know people in campaigns. I'm curious from your end, how much value do you think campaigns or politicians take from these campaigns that players are putting on, like LeBron's more than a vote campaign or or Steph Curry and his family endorsing Joe Biden? What what kind of value do you think that you know campaigns and politicians take from the activism from players? I think it's a big value. I, I think it's it's a window into some of these issues that they might not be paying enough attention to, or they might not be talking about in the right way, um, or they might not have legitimacy on. Because if a voter is looking at Joe Biden, with all due respect, they don't immediately think this guy understands this situation, right? And, and, that, mm-hmm. and what I mean by this situation is, uh, you know, police brutality, systemic racism, any of the things that fall under that broader umbrella. So I think that when you have somebody like the Currys 
doing a formal endorsement or you have, you know, what LeBron is doing with um, really sort of like targeted uh, voter outreach and voting rights with an organization, I think that definitely, you know, moves the margin in terms of the way that these campaigns think about things, the way that uh, the politicians think about things, and the way that they're forced to express their opinion on things. Because if those guys and those people are saying, these are the issues that you should be talking about, these are the issues that are acceptable to, or, or these are the issues that are important to us and important to people that we talk to and that follow us, then they are acceptable for you to say, and they are necessary for you to say. Um, because I think that the unfortunate situation is the relationship between activists on the ground and politicians is inherently kind of adversarial, as it should be, because the role of people that are on the ground is to make the politicians meet them where they are. Whereas somebody that's in a position of an NBA athlete, for instance, um, doesn't need to necessarily take such an adversarial approach, but they're kind of like a go-between in a sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's good and important to have people with broader platforms and bigger voices being like, hey, this is not something that you just see on your Twitter feed and like scroll past. Like, this is the issue. Awesome. Uh, Gideon, uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I know that we talk on the phone a lot, but maybe not necessarily have the most serious conversation. So I appreciate you uh, coming to hang out on Crossover Daily. This was such a blast. Um, I need to next time see like a, a live shot of you if Bam does anything else in the next game. Um, we also need to talk a little bit about like Pat Riley's facial hair at the moment because that uh, was something that I saw when he pulled down his mask at one point. He's got like a Colonel Sanderson going on, but I kind of like it. We'll save, the, we'll save the Bam Cam and the Pat Riley talk for next episode. Gideon, thank you so much, man. Thank you, Ro. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Doc Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Thank you. 
An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.